0: Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, and this episode, as always, is brought to you by Zen Sports, which is the peer-to-peer mobile sports betting app where anybody can come in and create and accept sports bets with anyone else uh, without the need for a bookmaker. And, um, so to start things off, uh, uh, just to kind of kick things off here today, it's been a couple of weeks, uh, maybe it's almost been three since we've had uh, a guest on. Uh, I did a monologue, uh, solo version of it about a week and a half ago on Black Lives Matter and the state of sports. And so, uh, excited to, um, you know, kick things off again, uh, with another guest. It is, Uh, The evening of Thursday, July, uh, excuse me, Thursday, June 18th. And it is a sweltering hot day in San Francisco. And those of you that have been to this part of the country before know that very few places in the city have air conditioning. And uh, to make matters worse, uh, because we're doing a podcast, I have the window shut in order to minimize sound. And it is sweltering hot in my apartment. So bear with me if I start running out of breath at any point in time. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, yeah, so what's been going on the last couple of weeks? So lockdowns have been easing up in a lot of parts of the country. Sports have definitely been coming back. Um, so, you know, we already know uh esports, MMA, Bundesliga have been back for quite some time. La Liga came back about a week, week and a half ago. Uh, the English Premier League came back uh, this week. PGA Golf uh, came back uh, last weekend. Um, and... NBA and NHL are set to return next month. And the never-ending saga with baseball and MLB continues to go on and on. Um, What I think is, uh, you know, really interesting about that is just that that really those conversations have had nothing to do with safety and just uh, are strictly about labor negotiations. So that's really kind of a, a, a very frustrating thing for those of us that want baseball back to have to deal with Uh, the ongoing saga with that. And then, uh, you know, just looking further ahead out, uh, football, NCAA football, NFL uh, still looks to be good. So with that update in mind, and again, excuse my panting, uh, just sweltering hot in here. um, We have a really interesting show for you today. So as you know, like with Zen Sports, we uh, specifically, the Zen Sports app is a, a decentralized app for sports betting. It doesn't require a bookmaker. And today, we are going to take a U-turn and go back to the traditional bookmaking world with somebody who works in bookmaking and sports bookmaking. And uh, I think it's going to make for a really interesting perspective. And I think we're going to do some pretty cool deep dives into some very interesting topics, uh, especially some that I have on my mind. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome from Baldini's Sports Booking Casino in Nevada... Robert Kowalski, how are you doing today, Robert? So
1: well, Mark. Uh, thanks so much for the time today. Uh, really excited to talk about exactly uh, you know the differences as to you know well, my world as you know we've mentioned the traditional bookmaking model and uh, you know where the future lies uh, with
0: peer-to-peer wagering. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, cool. So why don't we to start things out uh, just to give everyone some context as to you your background. Why don't you take us back to some of your earliest days of how you got started in bookmaking? Um, and feel free to walk us through your entire journey up to now uh, with your position at uh, Baldini's uh, Sports and Casino. Oh, well, thanks. It'd be a, a real
1: pleasure, Mark. Thanks so much. You know, uh, well, you know, before my bookmaking chapter, uh, I was born in Brooklyn, uh, graduated out of St. John's University in Queens. Uh, and actually, had a lengthy tour uh, running the ticket office for the New York Mets baseball club. Uh, they weren't good back then, and <laughs> I uh, kind of had to learn how to. Are they good now? <laughs> <laughs> good point. I don't know if it was just uh, being the, um, you know, a little kid brother of the team on the uh, other side of the uh, Whitestone Bridge, uh, but I think that it definitely gave me a perspective on, well, you know, sometimes how not to sell the team, right? How do you sell uh, the Mets when they're losing three out of every four games and uh, there's just chaos and and very little winning? Well, so you sell the experience, right? You know, everyone remembers what it's like going to a stadium for the very first time. And it's something that I, I really took with me all the way to this point Uh, we'll we'll circle back to it because I think it's very important to really know your guest. Uh, And that's kind of been the theme in my entire working career going, you know, way, way back. Uh, And so, well, (laughs) how did I get into bookmaking? Uh, Well, I, of course, got a bunch of my friends. We ended up playing in several fantasy sports leagues. Uh, uh, One in particular was a fantasy baseball league that I got involved with it with my friends working at the New York Mets. Uh, One of uh, my buddies actually was the supervisor of the sports book at the then Barbary coast uh, out in Las Vegas on the four corners of the strip. Uh, We ended up of course, visiting him, uh, you know, many uh, time, especially during the football season. uh, After uh, paying, oh boy, I don't know, a dozen trips out to Vegas. I said, you know, um, I think I want to do this. <laughs> and, uh, thus was the beginning of my journey. Uh, it ended up, uh, starting with him, uh, thankfully, where I, I began to learn the ropes, uh, as a ticket writer, uh, at that said property at the Barbary coast, where, uh, it was basically two weeks before March madness was my, uh, entrance into it basically said, well, here it is. Here's the terminal. Um, get writing kid. And so that's how it all started, Mark. Uh,
0: it's, so, so Sorry to interrupt. So what kind of like uh, customers did you have? And, you know, we all think about, you know, the the bookie, you know, in the back alley doing deals. Like, what was that setting like? Who were your customers? Um, and what did that kind of experience look and feel like?
1: I, I don't think I could have had a better first transaction ever. Uh, don't remember the guy's name. But he had a a really scraggly look to him, um, kind of a dirty stained T-shirt with blue jeans, a a little bit on the heavy set side. And I came up to the counter. I said, you know, how can I help you? He said, yeah, 904, four dimes. And I said, well, um, go ahead and punch in 904, which was the Kansas City Royals. And so <laughs> I ended up uh, um, taking a, a, a preseason baseball wager uh, for uh, four thousand, which uh, I remember him plunking down uh, all huge wad of cash in hundreds. Uh, counted it out for him, handed him his ticket, and away he went. Um, they lost that day; they lost eight to one, um, and he was back the next day. <laughs> Nice. So yeah, it was, it was really uh, a time where any bet
0: that was called out, we would take. And this was at Barbary coast at the Barbary coast. Correct. And so why would you, why would you take any single bet? Why, why was there no discretion or no discernment when it came to which bets to take?
1: I feel that at that time, uh, Barbary coast was part of a network of casinos and as rudimentary, the technology was back then, uh, the director at the time was seeing every wager come across. And when he would see a four dime bet on the Kansas city Royals, he probably didn't even blink on having that bet go through, uh, because of how much volume he was doing at the time. Uh, and it, it was, it was a really, really good time at least at that property that I was working. What year was that
0: or when was that? It was 2004. Okay. So not that long ago, about 16 years ago. Yep. So what about, what about your, uh, uh, you know, like bookmaking days, like on your own, like back in Brooklyn? Um, like, is it, how did you like understand how to, um, you know, really just like make a book or take a wager? (laughs) So
1: it, every single day I would buy, uh, as if it was just, a regular occurrence, I would get the National, if uh, uh, people remember th- that far back, <laughs> uh, that didn't last too long, uh, the New York Post, and of course, the Daily News. Uh, every morning, I'd head right to the sports pages, get updated, and see the lines for that day. That's how I started to learn about making book, and about margins, and really how desperate everybody was to chase that parlay um and so parlay cards was another thing that everyone loved to get a piece of because well look at the back of that card take a look at your payouts
0: <sighs> so it, does it so do people did people when they you know in terms of like why everyone wanted to get a hold of those parlays was it purely they just saw what those kind of odds were and they just I don't want to say they couldn't comprehend the, uh, the true odds of them, but, you know, they're like, oh, this is easy. I can pick three winners or four winners and instead of doing them separately. I'll do them as a parlay because, um, you know, I, I feel like they all will hit. And instead of getting, you know, two to one on each, you know, I'm going to get 16 to one. Uh, so is that is that kind of like what you felt was the thought process or was it something else that attracted them to the parlays? Oh, no, that's
1: exactly it, Mark. Yeah you you nailed it. It's 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 that big payout for a very small investment. And you know of course they loved it and they knew that they would keep coming back at a chance to win. Uh you know of course uh, the, the first line on the back of the card says ties lose. And so even though the Mets may have won 4 to 3 against the Braves that day, well they were a minus 1 run favorite. Well, sorry, ties lose, Mark.
0: Right. <laughs> and obviously if one loses in a if obviously if one loses in a parlay the whole thing loses so exactly uh, right yeah you got you got to clear the entire ticket yeah exactly exactly so okay and was that pre internet days or was that after the internet yeah no that was really really
1: pre internet um i don't think that no 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 this was definitely pre internet i don't i don't even think I was even thinking about uh, any kind of a web browser or any kind of interface at all at that time. Everything was just hand delivered with a phone call.
0: Well, the reason I ask is because, you know, you, well, two reasons I ask actually. One is, of course, once the internet came around in the mid 90s, then the proliferation of online sports books, you know, became the thing. Uh, but the second reason is uh, from a data perspective. So we've had a couple of folks on our podcast that um, are deep into sports, sports betting, and sports book data. And, you know, even probably in the earliest of days on the internet, there probably wasn't as much data, but there certainly all of a sudden became this rush of data um, that you would now have at your fingertips once the internet came around that when you talked about like getting the New York Post or other publications to get your data and information from, like all of a sudden, boom, everybody had that. And so, you know, I, I'm wondering, like, you know, how that might have changed um, just even traditional offline bookmakers from a data perspective or from a competition perspective. I'm just curious what like what went through your mind as the Internet came along and all these online sports books popped up and all this data was showing, like, just kind of curious what went through your brain as that started to happen.
1: Right. And so I'm, I'm looking now in Nevada right around. Well, yeah no we, we can definitely focus on the time where data pl- uh, proliferation really started to come across and news feeds would carry everything and anything and that that ticker meant the world uh, you know to breaking news and and what that meant uh, as far as the rush to the counter uh, this is even before um, you know mobile or, or account wagering uh, was was even, you know, a a thing in Nevada where you can actually, you know, really use it to your advantage. I think when you you look at the core of it, Mark, from a, a traditional bookmaker's perspective, boy, oh boy, do you have to know your guests. You know, whether it's the guests that come to the counter from a retail perspective, or those that are in your database, betting on a mobile device, you must know your guests. You have to have strong mathematics uh, and an ability to analyze data regularly. Uh, I mean, there's there's no days off, Mark. <laughs> there's no days off. Uh, so why
0: do you have to you know, know your customers so much more than the actual odds and uh, you know data and information stuff? Like what? Uh, forget about the actual like lines and odds and the probabilities and the wagers themselves. Why? Do you care about knowing the people, the actual people that are placing these wagers? What is important about that?
1: So let's take a look at this past year's Super Bowl. I think I was the only book in the country that opened up San Francisco minus one. And I got a deluge of money on San Francisco minus one. It It didn't take too long. Uh, for, you know, the limit place to start coming in on Kansas City plus one. And then, uh, you know, getting pings asking me, hey, you're going to put up that money line (laughs) on Kansas City. And so it became uh, very clear that for every bet on San Francisco, I was going to get uh, an equal play on Kansas City. And it it, it broke it pretty much straight down. Where I knew that because of where we're located, uh, you know, up up in Reno, it's pretty much a straight line, you know, to get to the Bay Area. Uh, I knew that my guests that were going to hit the counter were just going to hit the you know the, the push max button on
0: San Francisco, right? And so now, so what if the two te- uh, what if the two teams had been Uh, you know, from some other location, it had been San Francisco. Would you have approached it completely differently? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, This was a, an, an experiment that went right in my, you know, well in, in the ledger basically, because I knew that every single day I was going to have something where I knew I could shade the Niners or the Raiders, or the Giants. Uh, you know, Any team that was from the Bay Area, uh, I, I knew I was going to get extra money on just simply because. So right. it, it's not where you could just say, okay, let me go ahead and cookie cut out this sports book and apply it to any location in the world. That's impossible. You're, you're, you're going to fail. It won't work. You have to be able to Uh, customize that sports book and the channels that would be available for the casino or for the operator so
0: that it would best fit the clientele that come and visit that property. So what other characteristics in your customers do you try to look for to understand them better to help give your book an advantage or to help drive better customer service or whatever positive trait might be? Like, what are the things are you looking for besides in this particular one-off example? Um, like, more on a daily or weekly basis, what do you look for? It's, it's again, Mark, oh boy, it's just,
1: it's a constant, constant search for data. Um, it's a race for information. Uh, at this point, you, you know, we're, we're a year and a half into our existence as an independent sports book. Where we offer not only the uh, the retail channel over the counter uh, at the casino with Baldini's, uh, but on our mobile app, which uh, is able to be downloaded anywhere in Nevada and used anywhere in Nevada. Uh, and then, of course, we have a, a kiosk, a self-service kiosk that you could come and visit. So when our counter is closed uh, for the evening, uh, or not, you can you can just simply go ahead and, and you know write yourself your own ticket right from the self-service kiosk. So, you know, going and taking a look at what everyone is coming to you on a day-to-day basis, you really have to begin by saying, well, what products am I going to offer? Am I just going to go ahead and pull open the shades and say, Welcome world, come and take everything and anything under the sun? It's that's you know clearly marked. Very reckless, <laughs> and it goes against anything that, uh, you know, is proper risk management. You need to know the product. You need to understand to what level you want to offer the product in terms of limits, right? And these are all things that we'll circle back to when we start discussing peer to peer. But you'll know that you'll have X amount of players that will be specifically searching not so much for uh, who's playing or who's not instead of looking for a side that they feel is correct uh, we're, we've gotten to a point now mark where they're simply looking for a an arbitrage or a middle so to say where they're looking for a margin that they could hop in on a team at I don't know you know plus 120. on the money line. And then the next thing you know, uh, you know, just by uh, degradation, you know, they they suddenly become the favorite. They come in and pop you on the other side for the max bet. And now, you know, they got plus 120 on both ways, creating themselves just a a wonderful fun day where they could go ahead, close that laptop and, you know, head to the beach because they got that day.
0: Right. And so I guess what's interesting there is, you know, you know, looking for people that are chasing steam, or looking for people that are, or people that are looking for arbitrage opportunities, um, or even just sharps that just you know see and recognize good value when they when they when they find it. Um, you know, is is that like the primary thing you look for, just from a risk management perspective, as you talked about, or is that something you don't worry about until you start to see a pattern or a problem? Right, and and you see
1: that that always comes back down to. the the technological tools of our time right now, right, Mark, Uh, you know, from a bookmaker's perspective, will I know that, you know, player Mark Thomas every single day simply refuses to make a wager on any side at minus 130 price or higher, right, where you're wagering uh, 130 to win 100 and, and your total payout is 230. And, and that's simply where you draw the line. You're saying, I'm not playing it no matter what, no matter what I read, it's just too high a risk. And that's not the business that I'm in. That's that's fair. I make a note of that. And I say to myself, well, if I put this out, I know Mark Thomas will not put out a a limit bet on that side. And I could use that knowledge to make book on that particular matchup. Whereas if I take a look, let's just say, at uh you know South Korean baseball right now and the NC Dinos who uh, pretty much seem to be destined to win the championship this year uh in in the very little product line that we have to offer um uh, you know they 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 can start to skyrocket to you know the 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 $3 even $4 favorites in some cases and i have to say to myself well yeah of course they're going to be a 3 or $4 favorite however I know there's Mark Thomas again. He's going to see a team that says, hey, these are a bunch of professionals. I'll take plus 325 uh, in the chance that they could actually pull off a win here in a nine inning game. Nothing's impossible." And so that's where margins come into play. And I say to myself, well, how many people are actually going to want to go ahead and take advantage of a line? irregardless of how bad it is, just like you mentioned, just calling back to it because of the value that lies in that matchup.
0: Right, right. And do you get a lot of those? Because I first, you know, I, I I don't obviously do as much betting as I would like to, just simply because I'm busy running a startup. But from a, you know, a general perspective, I don't like taking what I consider to be like very highly improbable bets just because there might be a few points of value there. Do you really see a lot of sports bettors who will take something that really doesn't have a high likelihood of happening just because there's a little bit of value there.
1: I do. Uh, I do. Yeah.
0: And, and I see it a- across I- any product, uh, you know, whether it's a, a future. Cause they're playing for the long run, right? They're just like, well, it doesn't hit this time. It's going to hit the next time. Exactly.
1: Yep. Yeah. They, they're, they're basically in, in, in another way of talking about gambling, you know, it's at some point that's going to land on 33 on that roulette wheel.
0: Right. And then if you do that enough times, then of course it it, it pays off. Um, well, now hang on a second. You use a very interesting word word called uh, gambling. So I'm I'm gonna st- I'm gonna actually uh, use that as a as a little uh, sidebar here. So I, I wrote a blog post uh, about a year and a half ago that stated that uh, sports betting is not gambling; it's skill based. Now, obviously, it's only for the smartest of folks that are out there, uh, or the sharpest of folks. Now. I I still think it's really challenging to make any kind of living off of sports betting because of, of course, the fees and and so forth. And what you talked about in terms of, you know, traditional bookmakers look out for sharps and will, you know, I mean, they'll just eventually if it's too much, they'll just ask them not to play. Um, So I, but I even think for just your casual sports better, who maybe doesn't make a lot of money on it, but just, you know, does it and breaks even as an example, or even maybe loses but they have enough to not just get totally raked over the coals right so what's your take on you know sports betting getting lumped in with other forms of gambling like table games and slot machines just as a quick sidebar just curious as to what your opinion on that is oh well, yeah no doubt I mean if you if you look at any gaming control
1: boards reports for the month uh, they you know their sports book lies you know it's it's a uh, revenue department that draws in handle and and holds X percent and you know, if you, uh, hold 4%, you know, that's a darn good month for a sports book. Uh, you know, you, your, your mileage may vary of course. Uh, now, especially with, uh, you know, forget about the advent, you know, we're we're deep in the heart of in-game wagering. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that, that opens up a entire brand new pool of, of wager types and a brand new pool of players to, to, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that has really sparked uh, even higher interest uh, in, in sports betting. And it, it's without a doubt going to find – yeah, of course, you'll, you'll find people that never have made a wager before that are now told, hey, I'll tell you what. I know this game just started. We're in the you know bottom of the second. There's still no score. Um, what if I told you you could still hop on in? Yeah. Right, I mean, it's just like uh, you know the the stock market at nine yeah. at nine o'clock in New York. Uh, do all trades stop? No, I mean that's what it actually. <laughs>
0: <happens>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and then another similar analogy uh, to the stock market, like futures. You know, those futures, sports betting, of course. So I'm of the opinion, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I'm of the opinion that futures betting is on its way out the door, it's a relic, it's a dinosaur, it's going to be basically no more at some point, and it's going to be replaced by in-game betting. And really, from my perspective, it's really for one big reason, which is why the hell tie your money up for uh, a week, a month, three months, six months, when you can turn that money over so many more times um, by betting you know, just on single games, in-game betting, and so forth. So what's your take on the future of futures betting?
1: I, I agree with you, Mark, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a product that's been around for the longest time in, 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 in sports books. Uh, but to be honest, much like the printed ticket, uh, future pools, I don't think i ever going to go away. You're always going to have that, you know, group of guys or gals that come in from Chicago, that. Can't wait to get that ticket that says Chicago Cubs World Series champs, and they'll bet it because, well, because. Right. And and they'll do it regardless and not actually handicapping. They're there almost for the souvenir, right? So it's oh, going to be there. And if you're going to put it out, might as well do the due diligence and make sure that the book makes sense and that your theoretical hold, so to say, makes sense. And that's been something that has been scrutinized. Uh, well, forever.
0: <laughs> there were some, uh, I guess there were some people I was hearing that, uh, you know, got tickets on the Cubs, uh, you know, to win it all. And the amount of money that they won was so low, they decided to hold onto it as a souvenir, not even cash it in. <laughs> yep. <Absolutely>, yep. <laughs> they framed it. They framed yeah, exactly. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's funny. And so, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you that there's that. Um, I told the story before in a prior podcast, how, uh last time I was in Vegas was Labor Day weekend. and uh, my brother-in-law was there. He put fifty bucks on LSU to win it all Labor Day weekend, which was I think fifteen to one. Uh, so he got seven fifty uh, on that when they when they won the title. Um, and so I like it totally makes sense like you're going to Vegas, you're there for a weekend, you have a hunch or you just think you know you kn- know what's going to happen or you've got a favorite team. And so futures betting, you know, for that makes 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 perfect sense. What about for people that maybe bet more frequently? And I'm not even talking like, again, like sharps. I'm just talking about like semi-casual bettors who bet more often. Do you still see them placing bets on futures as frequently or more than um, like single game betting or in-game betting might be? No, no, not at all, Mark.
1: And if I had to put a percentage on yeah, bets on, be. on future pool versus non-future pool, uh, it, it's heavily skewed away from the future pools. And mind you, I'm putting up future pools on just about everything. Uh, I mean, heck, I just put up future pools on, on the US Open uh, in, in Flushing for the men's singles and the women's singles because, yes, even though it's in August, someone wants to go ahead and bet it. But right. you know where I'll find it? I'll find it often when we'll... <laughs> March Madness. So when we when we open up our pools for... Uh, NCAA uh, men's basketball, Uh, they'll wait, they'll take a look, and then I'll get, you know, limit plays on big, big odds. Um, And and they're just simply, you know, of, of course, they're speculating just like anything here. It's a speculation game, but they're looking for that angle where all of a sudden they've got themselves, say half a dozen tickets on schools that are destined for, Well, not only for the entire uh, tournament, but, you know, look very, very live to make it into the sweet 16. And they've got big prices, you know, uh, 80 to 1, 100 to 1, 100 to 1, right? And so now they're saying to themselves, okay, well, what can I do with this? How far can I go before, well, you know, again,
0: margins, before they can go ahead and hedge off and
1: guarantee themselves a
0: profit? So the other thing I want to ask about on the in-game betting side, which uh, uh, you know I've asked on a couple with a couple of other guests, but I I also want to ask it of you because you're actually a bookmaker is back to the data piece. So how are you reconciling the data fast enough for in-game betting to make sure that you're staying one step ahead of it and aren't putting yourself at risk for something that might not really be those odds, unless you have the
1: speed. Of software that allows for instantaneous margin adjustments, you're simply not running risk the right way, Mark. Uh, And and so without that software, if you're, I mean, look, there's operations out there uh, in in Nevada that, of course, they do, as they call it, manual in-game wagering. So this isn't computer-based. It's it's a, it's a team of dedicated, uh, experienced sports book team members that are there with their eyes on the game every single second, making adjustments on the fly based on how much money is coming in on the side or the total of the money line. And moving it not only off of recommended margins – but also off of how much they have in their pool. And so you'll find uh, end users that will have multiple apps across multiple casinos because the in-game line will fluctuate sometimes drastically depending on the casino operator's needs. Thus, again, in-game wagering offering giant
0: opportunities for uh, middles, for big, big margins. Right. So we launched esports betting in mid April. And obviously, that was one of the few things that was going on for about six weeks there <clears throat> until MMA came about in early May. So, from about mid March to end of April, it was pretty much just esports, then obviously random weird shit like uh, marble racing and stuff. So, are you guys doing esports betting right now? If so, what does that look like? You know, how has that worked out? And if not, are you looking to do it?
1: Right. So, yeah, when when we had to uh, close the doors to the casino uh, because of the of the pandemic, uh, our mobile app stayed open, uh, and it was me. Uh, it was a team of just my eyes. And I said, well, so what what are we what could we possibly offer other than eSports? And so I did my homework. I studied, I watched a ton of twitch for the first time ever. And we decided, thanks to uh, regulations allowing such, we we offered uh, Counter Strike Global Offensive, the ESL. Okay. Gotcha. So we put well, it up. No, go ahead. I got. I got to tell you, Mark.
0: I got next to nothing wagered. Wow. Because we get I tons don't. wagered on esports after we rolled it out. Now we, of course, focus on the international market. Um, and I do think esports is bigger outside the U.S. in general. Um, but uh, so we had we had League of Legends and Counter-Strike Go uh, as the two that we offered. Uh, we're actually looking to offer more uh, soon, which we will be adding uh, just because it's, you know, it's actually it's actually doing quite well from a, a wagering perspective for us in terms of volume. Um, but uh, I believe Nevada legalized it like after the pandemic started. Was that not Correct. Correct. Yeah, so it was almost like one of those things where they had to do it to, to help you out. And what? So, just curious, why do you think you guys didn't get any action on it? Easy. Um,
1: I <laughs> I offered it. I became a a, a one man wrecking crew. I put on my marketing hat. I tweeted out as much as humanly possible. I made Facebook videos saying, "Hey, take a look at this great new product. Yes, there is something that we could bet on. Have a look at this." total crickets no interest and i don't know i don't know if this was perhaps um maybe it's just not the right set of people that were in my database because of course no come and bet it over um over the counter because our casinos were closed so all i had was the existing database of players that had a mobile app at the time and Mark there's just they, they just they just either didn't get it uh, or just they felt that they, they didn't understand any of the mechanics and they, they just simply just shied away from it. I even asked, I said, what what is it? You know, what, would, what would it be that would change your mind on it? And they said, we, we, we have no idea what we're watching.
0: So I think it might be also demographic. We skew very millennial, Gen Z, you know, kind of target demographic uh, just with, with our product. Um, but I also think, so we did some stuff around, um, I, you did the YouTube videos and stuff or the uh, Facebook videos, which is great. So we actually, uh, now we just did this last week. So it's not like we did this uh, a long time ago, but we ro- we rolled out a, a educational webinar on it. Um, but, you know, it was interesting because back in, so we launched it mid-April from mid-April to end of May. I think one of the reasons for why it was bet on so heavily with us was people were just so desperate for something they could bet on and watch at the same time. because of obviously Twitch broadcast a lot of these, um, uh, matches, uh, versus like weird random shit, like marble racing where they didn't know how they could find out the results and stuff like that. Right. So it was still, if you want to call it, um, you know, trustworthy, uh, you know, from a betting perspective, or credible, um, or legitimate, um, you know, it was, I think that was what we heard our customers saying is like, okay, I really, really want to bet. And I don't feel comfortable betting on something random, like, you know, mentioned before. And we did have some customers say they were betting on, I believe it was uh, Taiwanese minor league basketball, which was still going on and a few other things. But this was one where they could like actually sit down and watch. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see it going forward. Um, but I definitely agree with you that it takes more work to get people to understand what it's about before they just are just going to jump in and wager $1,000 on it or something.
1: Uh, exactly, Mark. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, I I said I, I really want to dedicate myself and learning the teams, learning the stats, seeing how quickly they could turn things out, seeing what kind of propositions I could offer on it. It's just that all the work that i put in, I just feel that I simply missed the mark because I, I didn't know how to market it. And like you said, you have, yeah. you, you have the ability to reach the correct demo. I don't think that I did that. And that's where I feel that if there's ever an opportunity, it's very obviously in esports.
0: Yeah. So so um once MMA returned did that turn things around for you guys like was that the the light switch that got betting back you know into your book? No, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it so the first one actually was uh, end of April where
1: um, we were offering propositions on the NFL draft. Oh, okay, so you got the NFL draft. I, and and I took <laughs> I took more money bet on the NFL draft across the two days than I did on some NFL Sunday games. Wow. It was was bonkers. I just couldn't understand it. And the the more I offered, the more they bet. Well, people were hungry. Absolutely starved. So, you know, it it was a good jump off point and it made me say, Hey, okay. They want to bet, you know, and they want to bet something that they know. uh, and, And that's exactly what happened. So when we turned the calendar to May, and I said, all right, what do we have going on? We're going to have um, MMA, uh, you know, cards. It looks like we were going to have plenty of cards on the weekends. That was going to be good. We're going to have some midweek cards, which were going to help. Um, and here's the KBO, uh, Korean baseball. And it was going to be something that I wanted to ensure that I offered the product with the proper marketing. So I, again, opened up on Twitter. Told everybody pretty much every day. Hey, here's the calendar of the day. I know maybe you don't want to log into the app because you don't think there's anything out there, but let me tell you what's scheduled for today. It was that call to action that got everybody stirred up again, and uh, you know they're able to log in and remotely make a deposit into their mobile app uh, and and start firing away. Um, So do you offer do you offer soccer as well? Yes, yeah. So I've got. Soccer right now, pretty much everything that is, you know, Division One in Europe, so La Liga, Bundesliga, uh, the Premiership, uh, Syria A just kicked off again. Yep. So um, yeah, pretty much anything that's a part of the regular rotation before the shutdown is right back again, um, and they're uh, they're loving it. They're loving it. I'm offering every possible way. That you could bet a game, whether it's you know the entire game, betting the first half, uh, three way betting, you know totals,
0: goal lines, everything. It's interesting because before I started Zen Sports, I didn't think a lot of Americans wanted to bet on soccer. Now, obviously, our customers are international outside the U.S., so I I was very certain they would want to bet. Um, But since all we have in this country is MLS, and since soccer is like I don't know, distant sixth or seventh or eighth compared to all the other sports. I'm really, I'm really somewhat surprised to hear you say that because I just didn't think that a lot of Americans would bet on soccer. Or do you feel it's a product of the fact that there's not as much to bet on right now?
1: Yes, mark the latter actually, because if okay. we take a look, and you know, I'm just flipping right now through my uh, my recaps for for June, and I'm like forty five percent of all my handle is on combat okay. sports. Uh, 30% is on Korean baseball and then like 20% on Germany and Spain soccer.
0: Got it. So yeah. And obviously once the NBA and NHL come back and football comes back, you know, soccer will probably be what, less than 10%. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Maybe less than five. Wow. Wow. That makes sense. Okay. So kind of switching gears now, like I want to talk a little bit more about like actually running a book and kind of some of the things that you know, drive your day to day. So um, you talked already about like common characteristics of customers and, you know, what you look for in, you know, characteristics and traits and so forth. So, uh, you know, let's just kind of put this out there, right? You know, obviously you have to worry about like people coming in and having an advantage for whatever reason. They just know information. um, They got information faster. um, You know, they just, they've got an amazing model and algorithm and everything like that. So walk me through what it's like to um, not know someone's like that, and then the progression all the way through the point where you're just like, sorry, we can't take your action anymore.
1: right. right. And And so that kind of circles to um, you know the the sharp player or, or those that I consider sharps, which uh, you know, I'll, I'll just start off by saying I love sharps. <laughs> I, I love them because they they'll go ahead and they'll put out their limit play and then I'll say to myself, yep, that's absolutely the correct side. That's the side that I want to have and so I'm going to make it impossible to bet that side. Right? Got it. And so you'll have uh you know the the hive mind as it, as I like to call them. They'll go in and then just tumble in on the favorite to the over when the sharp comes in and plays the underdog on the money line, no less, at plus 130. I'm like, okay, well, so that's the right side, whether I think so or not. And I'll skew more towards that. And I'll respect that more than $10,000 plays, for example, on, on the favorite from you know the, the people that I know are going to not have the information that my sharps are going to have. But how do you know somebody's a sharp in the first place is kind of what I'm asking too. So it's just, it's sitting down every day. Mark, I'm, I'm not kidding you. There's not a day off for me. And I, this is what I chose. I love it, right? This is, this is what I do. It's in my blood. It's, it's all I care about. It's, it's what I do every single day, every single year. I mean, it's, uh, it's one thing to, you know, I, I, I tell, you know, the, the kids that come in and, and, want to start working in sportsbook, I said, listen, you know, it, it's nice to know that the mascot uh, of UC Santa Cruz, you know, but it's crucial to know, you know, that the basketball teams lost six of their last seven and just lost their top score in the fourth quarter last night, for example, uh, by the way, it's the
0: banana slugs. Uh, right. <laughs> at Santa Cruz, actually one of our, uh, our teammates, he went to school at Santa Cruz. <laughs> That's the only reason I know Santa Cruz is their mascot. <laughs> so be able to take you down on that one, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> um Right.
1: So what, what I'm what I'm looking at each and every day is I'm going to say, you know, okay, I'm going to roll out today's, well, you know, okay, and in a perfect scenario, this morning, you know, I, I was going to go ahead and, and look at um uh, early morning's results of the Korean baseball slate, see who's, you know rounding into form, see who simply can't get out of their way. Um, and then study every play that was made and by who and for how much. And through those analytics, I could say to myself, well, if I can go and add an additional eight points of margin on this side that got hit eight out of nine times, um, Maybe they'll continue playing them because they'll just keep playing the streak, but it's going to, you know, it's going to cost them that much more. So that's exactly what I have as an advantage as a bookmaker is that um, it's the cost of, it's the cost of playing, right, Mark? It's, it's, it's that juice that everyone pays when they play a game, whether it's going to be, uh, on the money line or on the spread, it's something that just plays in, uh, into my advantage because I know this is going to be the menu of the day. I could take a look at the same information that everyone else is going to have and make it either that much more difficult, or I'm getting to a point, for example, where there's one club where I'm, I'm basically daring you to play them. I'm making the price so high and for those that you know are, are serious bettors, they'll have uh, all the analytics in front of them as well and they'll know mm-hmm. the lines of, of every book in town and they'll see, hey, look at that. That's interesting. Uh, Baldini's is offering the highest spread uh, on this team and I know why and nope, I'm not falling into that trap <laughs> or they will uh, and, and that's, that, that's the levity
0: that I have uh, in running an independent sports book. So have you ever had to actually take the formal step of, um, a refusing just one bet from somebody and then B having to completely refuse all action from somebody moving forward? Never. Wow.
1: Never. No, not, not me. Not me. Um, I res- you just, you just make it hard on them. Is that, that's it? That's fair. That's fair. Yes. I'll, I'll give them play. I'll give them action. Um, uh, and, and it's a, it's a strong amount, uh, you know, it's, it's not anything, you know, especially, you know, in, 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 in my part of the state, I, I feel that I give fair limits, uh, and it, it's something that I feel just based on, uh, you know, listening to, you know, the, the railways, you know, that we've gained the respect of the sharps, um, you know, down in Vegas, we're being talked about. Uh, And and that, that's, that says a lot, you know, that, you know, the people that are the sharps down in Vegas are realizing, Hey, there's uh, another operation that's worth hopping on that one hour flight coming in, opening up a mobile account uh, because they're, they're, they're dealing and that's exactly what we're doing.
0: Interesting. So, because it's, I mean, the reason why I ask, of course, is because you hear all the time of sports books that are, you know, banning, you know, certain, you know, players just because they're too good. Um, I mean, maybe if you were purely online, like globally or something, maybe you'd have a little bit more to worry about. Is it because, for example, you focus just on the state of Nevada, it's a little bit easier to control that know your players, you know, all that kind of good stuff?
1: Exactly, right. And, And as you take a look at how an operation grows, right, they go, let's say, from one state to three, or six, or, or eventually, you know, every state that becomes legalized, well, Mm -hmm. you can start to parse that out. You can have a, a, a trading team that focuses on lines just for say, New Jersey, even though you're based out of Nevada. And so that gives you the option to say, okay, the people that download the app and bet at that property's sports book in the state of New Jersey are going to see different lines and different
0: prices than if you were to go to Nevada. And so I know that. So I know that you're obviously you know you're not as big as say like MGM or something. So does that you know directly impact like the liquidity that you'll provide for a bet? Like you know, could I place um, the same bet that I might be able to place with you for a thousand dollars? I might be able to go and place that same bet with MGM for 20,000, 30,000 or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's definitely fair to say, right. And, and as we continue to grow and I realize that, you know, we're no longer, you know, dealing to, you know, the smaller pool size that, you know, we currently have. And let's say, you know, we're now triple the size. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can, you know, v- vastly increase the limits on the wagers because I know I'm going to have, as you mentioned, that liquidity and I'll have the ability to say, hey, you know, we are taking in all of this action on this side. Um, It allows us to go ahead and and offer more.
0: Right. And do you have to turn down uh, or reduce the offered amount that somebody wants to wager on? Let's forget about somebody being, let's pretend they're not as sharp. Let's just say they're a casual sports bettor. And they just want to place more than you're comfortable with taking from a risk perspective because you're not in the risk taking game. So, you know, what is that conversation like with somebody who walks in and says, I want to put $20,000 on this? And you're like, well, sorry, we can only take five. Exactly. Right. And so it it becomes
1: a negotiation, right? I could tell them, listen, um, maybe I can't take 20, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you, let's say, I don't know, the Kansas City Chiefs. At this price for five, um, and then I'll move it. You know, let let's say from a seven point favorite to uh, seven and minus one twenty. So mm-hmm. I'll give it to you now for for six to win five,
0: and you could either agree to it or or not. Right, right. So that, and and do you feel like most people like um, are receptive to that, or do you? Do people ever get you know? uh, obstinate, <laughs> you know, like, why well, I can't, you know, I want to take this bed. It says it on the board. You should take my money. You know, do you ever get those kind of conversations from customers ever?
1: Mark su- surprise? Well, maybe not surprisingly. Uh, every interaction I've had with a guest that's hit up against our limit. Um, I was able to explain and, and we, we've always seemed to have ended, uh, very amiably. It wasn't really, I never really ran into a problem where someone said, um, you know I don't understand why you won't take my action
0: that's actually that's actually never happened got it and so what's the one thing I would you would say as part of your job kind of I'll put it this way drives you the most nuts about what you do and not in a good way I mean it drives me nuts that
1: in a career where I rely on data information that some way somehow when i least expect it someone else will get that information faster than i did
0: interesting that's a really that's a really great answer um and so i mean like do you feel like those people like have connections into like the locker room or something like that where they're getting like an injury report faster than other people i mean i'm just kind of ki- or or it's just literally a matter of you know, data providers not getting it quickly enough.
1: I've actually asked one person that I I consider super sharp. And and he came in one day uh, over the counter to to settle. And I said, listen, you know, straight up, how did you know that this player wasn't going to play this day in this game? Mm Mm-hmm. How did you you know it an hour before, and I didn't know it until tip-off? He says, I subscribe to every feed I possibly can on Twitter.
0: Wow. And all I do is I stare at the feed. Hmm. Wow. Well, so first of all, that makes me bring up another sidebar here, which is, um, I mean, I've been on Twitter since 2013, but I've been very active on it in the last, let's call it three years or so. And especially from a sports perspective because I'm a huge sports fan. Um, you know, during all the commercial breaks and during any kind of free moment I get, I'm on there looking at stuff all the time. Now nothing like what this guy just said, but I can see how that could be the case just by like how quickly I can get information on Twitter way faster, way faster than any like ESPN or other you know news outlet would, I mean, because you got people that are like, you know, like there, you know, either at the game or their reporters in the locker room, or whatever it might be, and they tweet before they do anything else. Right. And so I could, I could see that. that. That's a really super interesting answer. And I could see how if somebody just stared at their Twitter feed, or multiple Twitter feeds, whatever it might be, how they could how they could pick that up. But I mean, what are you going to do in that situation? I mean, I mean, there's this really not a lot you can do. No, not nothing.
1: There's nothing. You tip your hat, right, and say you beat me today.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, cool. Okay, so a couple things before we wrap up. So as you know, like we are doing stuff very different at Zen Sports. The whole no bookmaking thing, uh, where we're just trying to do peer to peer, both sides. Um, you know, makers create bet, takers accept. Try to use technology, i.e., uh, marketplace, mobile marketplace, to match both sides up together. Now, even on, uh, you know, platform like Zen Sports, we have market makers, um, which I don't consider them bookmakers because they're not making book, but you can make that argument either way. Um, So I don't, you know, the question that's interesting is, is like, do you really ever see traditional bookmaking going away? Or do you see it evolving into like, quote unquote, market making and just providing liquidity? Do you see it into being more of a consultative type role? to, you know, books like, let's say MGM just absolutely lightning fire has so much of it automated that they don't technically need a team of bookmakers, but they got the consultants doing what you're doing, like just boom, on top of it, looking at the stuff to make sure there's nothing wrong. Just kind of curious to see what you think the role of the bookmaker is now and how it will evolve over the next three, five, 10 years.
1: There's, in my eyes to 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 get an operation to a peer to peer, uh, platform that, that I believe is honestly the end game, uh, because now you're taking the, well, the responsibility of, of making sure that you're completely in line, that you, you didn't make, uh, some gross mistake based on, you know, data entry or, or who knows what. Maybe you just missed something on that Saturday where there's 82 college basketball games and you missed that UTEP was supposed to be a 10 point favorite instead of a 10 point dog, uh, you know, where you can offer the platform of peer to peer sports betting, where you're going to have a maker and a taker and that's to me, that's, that that's like Nirvana, right? That would be where I could say, yes. All of you globally go have at it, make the marketplace and we'll offer this wonderful platform that alongside with those that want to continue playing uh at that point, legacy style wagering where they want to take a look at a menu like they used to back in the day, uh, you know, that could still be offered as well. Um, but, Eventually what's what's gonna happen, Mark? It's it's inevitable. People are going to say, wait a second, why do I have to pay 10% to the bookmakers platform where I know you know I, I could save up to
0: eight points in in margin, you know, by you know going peer-to-peer? Yeah, that's almost exactly right. I actually think when you boil it down to it, what does technology often do? Yes, it creates a better experience. Uh, That's one. Then the other thing is it uses technology to cut out the middleman, drive cost savings, et cetera. But at the same time, what I think is kind of interesting is while technology is able to do that and and will do that uh, to to sports betting, which is obviously why we started Zen Sports, um, I do think what is interesting is... Again, if you think about the evolution of the role of somebody who just has your expertise, we'll forget even calling you a bookmaker for a second, just someone with your expertise has a role in just understanding the overall operations of that kind of product. Um, So while yes, the actual mechanics of maybe the day to day, maybe move entirely in that direction, or mostly in that direction, you still have a need to, I don't know, like you said, like, like maybe you know, check out Twitter and be looking at that uh, to be understanding. You know, uh, player and better characteristics, um, and to do some of those soft things that obviously you know technology doesn't uh, you know do. So I think that's I think that's what's really compelling about um, you know something like your role. I mean one one quick analogy is like you know so my last company was a real estate software company. And we sold uh, uh, transaction management, operational management, uh, uh, compliance management software to real estate brokers and agents. And you know, people always say, "Hey, well, why is the real estate agent still around when they charge six percent?" And you know, do they really provide any value? And I do agree. At some point, their role will evolve, but I don't know if it'll go away. There might be fewer of them too. I mean, that's that's for sure. Uh, but I don't think like the good ones will ever go away because there's always a role for smart people that understand like a full life cycle or full ecosystem of how things can work. Um, It's just in a different way. Right. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, you Mark, I completely
1: understand. And that's, it's probably true. The, the traditional bookmaker with, with the, the breadth of knowledge that they have and and expertise in the field, you would probably think that they would become more of a, uh, not so much of, of a, of a sales director, but certainly one where we can start to look at, here are the products. Here's what's coming next. Here's what's really popular now. And dude, you hit the nail on the head. It's a, it's a really great sports betting marketer. That's, that's pretty much it. Right. And, and to know that we could hit on, let's say, I don't know, Half of the users logged in at that moment, saying, "Hey, yeah, that's right. Look at this. I got five minutes before this thing goes off. Let me go ahead and, you know, um, let let's set this up right now. Let's take a look and see if I could get someone to buy into this one."
0: Yeah, exactly. And do, doing what you're doing on Twitter, like with the whole esports thing. Yeah, I get it. Didn't work out with that particular demographic, but but another. But that was the that was the the job, right? That was you know the right thing to do in that role. Um, and, and then also, you know, there's another part like hearing customer feedback. Well, I don't really care about, you know, this, maybe I don't care as much about League of Legends. I care more about Counter-Strike Go and uh, Dota 2, you know, I mean, I'm just, you know, kind of making stuff up, but, um, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, um, you know, to understand the customers and it becomes this really awesome marketing and customer success role, if you will, versus, okay, I got to, you know, adjust this line to be exactly that you might do some of that too. But, um, but I think that's, what's, that's super interesting. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, we're going to have to kind of, you know, see how that evolves, but I, I love, I love that thought, uh, that thought process and, and line of thinking. So last topic I want to cover before, uh, before we wrap up is the whole money side of things. So like, um, one of the things that I tell people when, you know, they ask us, for example, about Zen sports, you know, what are some of the pain points you sell for? Of course, you know, the, the, the fees and the, <laughs> The ease of use of peer-to-peer is all great. But the other big one I talk about is just the whole funding and payments, and you can throw in rewards and comps and uh, withdrawals and stuff like that. So, you know, it's no secret that traditional bookmakers cash, right? Now, I know a lot of mobile platforms will take ACH and stuff like that. So, you know, with Sports, we take both crypto, uh, our own cryptocurrency token, we take Bitcoin. Uh, We take Tether, which is a US dollar pegged cryptocurrency. We also take debit cards, wires, Skrill. And I think that is one of the most underrated pain points in the entire, honestly, not just sports betting, but the entire gambling world. Like, I mean, it's just a pain in the ass, like dealing with cash and all that stuff. So I'm just curious, like, you know, what do you hear customers telling you? Do do you hear every customer is like, cool, I love cash, I want to use it. Um, do you like working with cash? I mean, do, does it present security risks? Just talk to me about the actual pure money transaction side of things um, for your book and how you view things.
1: You know, it, it kind of reminds me of the advent of, of mobile betting to begin with. And the idea that you can make a wager without holding a ticket mark and, and having that record locked in and and having that person make that leap from the traditional i have a ticket i've got a bet in my hand versus i don't even need to get in my car i could just bet from my phone i think that we're we're understanding it as a a populace that loves to play and bet on sports and i think that the more and more that they get more comfortable with the idea of cryptocurrency, the more it's going to be used. Um, Just as a a starting point, if you open up a mobile app with us, it used to be come down to the counter, give me your cash.
0: Your account is now funded, much like going to a bank. Oh, okay. Your account would be funded, but then you could place bets from that. Okay. And now what is it? Right. And so now
1: we offer a service where you don't even have to Leave your house to make a deposit or withdraw. You can go ahead and ACH, like we mentioned, you could just do an ACH and have your account funded right in your pajamas in your home. The only thing that we require a account holder to do is to come to the counter once, so that we can, you know, do everything that's important uh, from a compliance perspective, uh, so that we we know the customer. And once that's all taken care of, they could not have to come back
0: ever again if they didn't want to. So So even that's something that's going to be automated though. Like, so for example, we are able to automate the entire KYC process in our app. Yeah. You see that's, that's next level. That's (laughs) that's exactly, exactly where I wish I was. So if you could have that, that would be like the ideal. And you know, it's going to get there, right? Because uh, customers don't want to necessarily go in person. They want to just literally do the whole thing from their app. They want to sign up. They want to provide their passport or driver's license for KYC. They want to have whatever else needs to be done for AML, uh, which is anti-money laundering for those that don't know that. And KYC is know your customer for those that don't know that. Um, and then fund the whole thing. Like literally never talk necessarily in person or even go in person unless they're there for other entertainment purposes um, besides placing a sports bet. Correct,
1: Mark. And that's, that's what as... Every state starts to write and roll out legislation to legalize sports betting. That's a major, major bullet point on every bill is how and in what form are we offering sports betting? And the first things out of everyone's mouth is I want mobile betting. I want account wagering rather, and I want
0: it really easy. Yep. Exactly. 1000% agree. And that's, you know, that's a situation where, as usually is the case, technology is way further ahead than the legal and the, you know, political side of things. And that's just, you know, that's always the way it is. But the good news is, is I think it's moving, moving fast. And, uh, you know, people recognize that the technologies exist, and they are seeing them in action, and maybe other products that they use, um, like, for example, like, uh, you know, on the cryptocurrency side, or you open up an E-Trade account or whatever, and you can do the whole KYC thing, you know, right from that app. Um, and so as they see those technologies applied in other products and platforms, they go, oh, well, we can apply this to sports betting, too. So hopefully that will happen, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, so, hey, man, I got to say this was super awesome. Uh, for those of you that, uh, you know, don't know... Um, the sports book that Robert works for uh, is actually an investor in Zen Sports, uh, Baldini's, and uh, uh, Grant Lincoln from there. So, uh, really, really appreciate you coming on and uh, being part of this podcast. Um, uh, you know, I've, you know, known you now for about the past fifteen months or so, uh, and it's uh, just you know really pleasure to talk to you all the time. And this was a great pod. I think everyone's going to love it. I think they're going to love hearing. What it was like, or what it's like from the bookmaker perspective—the <laughs> bad bookmaker that they're always going up against—I <laughs> think—and you're such a nice guy too. You're like, you like you—you dispel all the typical stereotypes of what a bookmaker is. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Mark. Yeah, no, it's it's super true. So, uh, all right, man. Well, uh, appreciate you joining. Um, that's a wrap for today, and uh, thanks again for uh, being on. It was a real pleasure, Mark. Thanks so much. This was an awful lot of fun. Thanks so much.